Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Just for a few minutes, uh, I want to talk about what Christmas shows us about Jesus. So there's an old saying, or kind of a series of sayings, that you can fool all of the people some of the time, you can fool some of the people all of the time, but you can never fool all of the people all of the time. That's true with everyone, including Jesus. So what's interesting is that the people that were closest to him would have known him best, wouldn't they? He, he could maybe to a crowd make a claim about himself and fool them for a time, but when he's with people day in, day out, day after day for years, they're going to know if he's real or not. They're going to know if it's a phony, if he's just a charlatan, if he's kind of a fly-by-night scoundrel guy, or if he's the real deal. And so as we have this year been going through the Bible book by book, we have reached the final book of the Bible we've not covered yet, and that's the book of John. John is one of the closest friends Jesus ever had on this earth. They They were like brothers. They were so close to each other. And what John says about Jesus as we celebrate Christmas is so crucial. His view of his best friend may blow your mind. What he claimed to believe that Jesus didn't just say about himself, but John affirms what he saw, what he experienced, right? Day in, day out, he affirms who Jesus is, and he reveals it at the beginning of his gospel. So Matthew and Luke, they have the Christmas stories in them, the Christmas accounts. So John 1 sort of serves as his Christmas account, sort of the birth narrative of Jesus, but it is very unique, It is unlike any other, but we're going to look at that today and just for a few minutes and see what Christmas shows us about Jesus. So uh, we're going to look first, see that John sees and tells us that Jesus was before us. So even before Christmas, Jesus existed. So it's John, let's look at John chapter one, the very beginning, verse one, and see what John says about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends who sees him day in, day out, believed that Jesus was divine, that he was God, that he preexisted before he came in human form in heaven. He is eternal in nature. This is not a small thing for John to begin his story about Jesus with. It's not that he tells you later on, after you've been introduced to this character, oh, that's who he is. He tells you from the very start, Jesus is divine. He is the second person of the Trinity, pre-existent before anything was ever made. In fact, John says, he helped to make everything that was made. Without him, John says, nothing could have been made. Without Jesus pre-existing, Nothing could have ever been made or have happened. This is an essential belief about Jesus. There are some who argue that Jesus never actually made that claim about himself. 
I even heard that recently. I was talking to somebody or was listening to something, and that claim sort of came up in this conversation where, well, Jesus never said that he was God. Well, actually, John records several times where Jesus clearly said he was God. There are seven statements called I am statements in the book of John that Jesus says. Uh, the, The biggest one is he says, before Abraham, your father was I am. Now, I always think that's really terrible grammar, first of all, before Abraham was, I am, but that's not the point of what he's saying. So you go back to Moses at the burning bush when God called him to lead Israel out of Egyptian bondage. That's God's name. When Moses says, what's your name? Who am I going to tell the people sent me? He says, tell them I am has sent you. And he says, I am that I am. I am self-existent. I don't need anything or anyone to exist. I am on my own. Jesus clearly multiple times makes that claim. It's in fact obvious that he made that claim because that's why he was crucified. That's why the religious leaders handed him over was for blasphemy. That was the rule. That, that was the law that he broke. Well, claiming to be a Messiah or a teacher or a prophet, that's not blasphemous, but claiming to be God would be. So this is an essential claim that John tells us from the very beginning about Jesus, sort of, if you will, in his Christmas birth story. Jesus is eternal, he is God, and he was before us. So really, Christmas started before Christmas started, because Jesus is before us. The second thing that John tells us or shows us about Christmas is Christmas shows us that Jesus is with us. We just sang this, but let's look at it. Skip down to John 1, verse 14. John says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Christmas is the day that God put on skin. That's what Christmas is. It's the day that the pre-existent Son of God came to heaven as a human to live with us. And when you look in Matthew, when his earthly, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, gets this dream about who Jesus is going to be before he's ever born, the angel says, you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus maybe had this nickname, Emmanuel. It's kind of maybe a nickname they would call him, which means God with us. So here's, here's really, let's look at another scripture that kind of goes with this one. It's Philippians chapter 2. It's later on in the, uh, in the New Testament, and it's probably one of my favorite, favorite parts of the Bible at all that we'll look at as well with John chapter 1. Philippians chapter 2, let's look at verses 6 and 7. And this tells us, makes the same claim about Jesus being with us. So this is Paul writing here. He says, though he was God, talking about Jesus, makes the same claim John made, though he was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So Jesus is God, but he knew, he knew to fulfill his mission. He had to come to earth as one of us to live with us. And the key key phrase there is that he humbled himself. A lot of times the fancy term for that is the condescension of Jesus. He condescended himself from being worshipped by angels to being just a blue-collar working family guy, traveling poor preacher. And we think of condescension usually in a negative connotation. Don't be condescending to me, but it's the perfect term for what this is. You can't go any, from any higher to any lower than Jesus went. You can't go any higher than being king of creation to then coming to live as one of your own creation. That's the biggest gap you could cover, and Jesus did that. He came to be with us. But the way he did that is so important. The king of heaven was not born as a king, but as a simple 
normal person. And the power of that is that it makes Jesus universally relatable. So anything that you are facing, have ever faced, and will ever face, Jesus knows how that feels. Any emotion you've ever had, Jesus has had that emotion. Anything that you can imagine, any person ever having to endure in any way, Jesus knows how that feels because he came to be with us, God with us. So Jesus understands the rich and powerful because he's rich and powerful as the king of the universe. But Jesus understands the poor and the powerless because his whole life he was poor and powerless. He lived a normal blue-collar working family as a carpenter's son. Even in his ministry, he's a traveling preacher who's homeless. There's one occasion where this one person says, I'll be your disciple, Jesus, I'll follow you. And he says, wait a second. Look at the terms and conditions real quick before you sign the dotted line. Uh, I live with a bunch of homeless dudes, and we travel around preaching to people that hate us. Do you want to sign now? So that's Jesus' reality. He understands what it's like to be at the top and at the bottom. He understands criticism. You ever been criticized before? You ever been talked about? You ever been lied about? You ever been used by somebody? Jesus knows what that's like. That's kind of his whole deal. That's kind of his whole life. So he understands even those deep things. He understands personal loss. So there's a story right before his crucifixion where he goes to his friend Lazarus, who has just died, his best friend. And while he shows up, he's been in the tomb for several days. His best friend, you know, Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, they have some issues, some complaints. They have some words with Jesus. And he says when he gets to the tomb, he's basically telling him it's going to be fine. But when he gets there, he does something interesting. It says Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible, right? Jesus had this deep emotion within him at this critical, pivotal moment in his life. He showed this emotion. And it's kind of like, you ever been so angry that you've cried before? Not that you're sad or upset, like you're just so angry. There's so much inside of you, you just, you just cry. Jesus kind of has this moment here. He's so angry at sin that causes death. He's so angry that death seems to have defeated life. But yet Jesus, being the author of life that John says, then after he has this moment uh, where he cries and he prays through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. Jesus proved what John claimed at the very beginning as the author of life, but he understood what pain and loss felt like. Jesus is with you in all that you face. It also means this. Let's look at uh, verse 18, back to John 1, verse 18. Here's the other cool thing about Jesus being with us this Christmas. John 1, 18. John says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. No one has seen God, but Jesus has made him known. So back to Moses in the Old Testament, there's this time where Moses says to God, God, show me your glory. I want to see everything I can of you. And God's response to Moses is, no one can see God and live. If I reveal to you my full glory, it would literally kill you. Yet Jesus does that very thing. In coming to earth not to just be among us, but to be with us, Jesus shows us more of God than anyone ever could have ever known. And he shows us what God is like. That's the, the, the joy and the beauty of Christmas, is Jesus shows us that God is powerful, yet kind. He's accepting, he's forgiving, and he is love. That's the, that's the beauty of this time of year, that Jesus is God with us. Here's the final thing as we begin to close. And Christmas shows us finally that Jesus came for us. He came for us. Back to John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. John says this, 
Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. But the question is, how did he do that? How did he give that right for anyone to be children of God? Go back to Philippians 2 that we read a second ago, and we'll see how that was true. Philippians 2, verse 9. I'll get there. Here's, um, yeah, here it is. Here's how. Um, sorry, verse 8. Sorry, Philippians 2, verse 8. Here is how Jesus gave us the right to be children of God. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. That's what Jesus came for. He came for us. He existed before us, then he came to be with us, but ultimately it was a rescue mission from heaven to earth. That's the whole point of Christmas. So Christmas is not just about the stable filled with hay and the manger and all that. It is, right? But ultimately, it was leading to somewhere else. Christmas leads us to Good Friday, which is ultimately the, the pinnacle of the point of what, why Jesus came. He came for us. Not just to be with us, but for us. And why that's important is God, who preexists everything, right? He's holy, spotless, perfect, and sinless. So, so God cannot be any, anywhere around sin. He, can't, he, he just can't deal with it, and he must punish all sin. The problem is, every person who's ever existed is fallen, frail, broken, and sinful. So, if in our sinful state, we can't have a relationship with God. It's fractured. It's broken. There's this huge gap that we cannot bridge. And the sin that we have done must be punished by this holy, perfect, sinless God. So Jesus came to be with us, and he came for us. The death of Jesus on the cross that starts on Christmas. We, don't, we, we separate these two big holidays, but they go together hand in glove. Christmas leads to the cross because he came for us. He does what no one else could do. He forgives us of our sin, which reconnects us to God in perfect relationship, perfect harmony with God. And now that our sin is cleansed, we're, we're with God, we're with him forever, we belong to him, and we have the right to be called his children, is what John says, because of the cross that started at Christmas. Christmas begins the process of, t of fixing all of the ills. Jesus was born to die, to take our place on the cross for our sin. And here's the result. One more passage, and then we'll, then we'll close. Back to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. So you might say, so what? Okay, here's, here's what. Here's so what. Philippians 2, verse 9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus then is, he starts at the top, he comes to the bottom to go back to the top. It's a full circle. Christmas is part of that full circle journey that Jesus goes on, and we can be a part of that with him. So the question I have for you is, we, as we close this time, then we'll sing a few more songs, and we've got some more things going on, but right now, let me ask you this. Have you accepted and received the greatest gift that came at the first Christmas? I know we have gifts under the tree. I know that somebody's going to come tonight and deliver some things that aren't even there yet. Like, I, I understand what we, what we get caught up in, but the greatest gift of Christmas is the one who came on the first Christmas. And if we receive him, then our relationship with God is then fixed. 
This brokenness that we have is then mended. Our sin that pushes us away from God, then we are restored to him in this new relationship. And all we have to do is receive Christ as this greatest gift. God, thank you for those who have responded by faith to this call. And I thank you that even just by signifying we have this need, then that, that's all Scripture says As we believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. And so I thank you for those that have connected with you in this way. It may seem strange or different for them. There are going to be a lot of questions and unknowns about this decision and what it looks like moving forward. But I thank you that through faith, they are now called children of God. You've given them that right to reconnect with their creator by the cross. And so we thank you that Christmas leads to the cross, which is everything for us. So we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your greatness and for Christmas. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.